Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites Podcast. I am Brian Ott. I'm joined tonight by Matt DeMarinas, and this is WhiteBlueReview.com's podcast, catching you up on everything you need to know and all of our opinions about Blue Jays athletics. This is our big, Big East men's basketball tournament preview show. Uh, we're on the eve of the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. Matt DeMarinas is joining us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he's had an eventful few days out up north and uh, he will be meeting me in New York City on Wednesday as we both travel to represent whiteandbluereview.com in the Big Apple at the Big East Tournament. Matt, great to have you on the show. Hey man, good to be on. I don't so, know if you can hear the crashing in the hallway, someone's doing something out there with it. Outside my hotel room, so it's probably Marquette shooting more three pointers that are going in. Um, I guess you could say that for the men's team or the women's team. Catch all of our listeners up to speed on where you've been the last couple of days and what you've seen—the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, just on that a little bit, isn't it kind of funny? I guess with the exception of DePaul in this league, that there really isn't any difference in style between the men and the women type of deal, you know? Yeah. I find that kind of funny. Like, Butler women play the same way as the men do, you know, like style-wise. They're obviously not as good, but... Sure. But, like, DePaul, I guess DePaul women and DePaul men are a little different, but Marquette plays... DePaul women Marquette could men beat and the women DePaul play men. the exact same way. The DePaul women could beat the DePaul men? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. Especially I mean, with Jessica January back, I mean... Right. Yeah, they're pretty okay. bad. I take that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee's been interesting, um... I actually rerouted my original flight plans because uh, there was like a couple in front of me on Friday when I was leaving in the afternoon that really needed to be in Milwaukee, or I guess Denver, um, which is where our flight was going, and there was some kind of mix-up with their seat arrangement. I don't remember how it went, but... Sure, typical, air, them, typical yeah. airline stuff. Yeah, but I offered them my seat, and then I flew out the next morning, which uh, landed me in Milwaukee around 1 o'clock for the one thirty tip-off <laughs> between the men. So I hailed a cab as quickly as possible, got there, got to the arena at probably on time for tip-off around one thirty. Okay. But, however, there was no one at the gate where I was set to pick up my credential, so I had to walk to the first will call window, which was now I had to go, th- but to get to that will call window, I had to go through a metal detector and like whole security force at the Bradley Center. Okay, mind you, I still have my suitcase for the sure. week and a half that will be going to New York too, <laughs> and my and my bag of you know journalism goodies. Um, so they emptied that out in front of the whole world and checked all my stuff and things like that, make sure I didn't bring a bomb into the place. Right, and then. And then promptly told me once I got through that security checkpoint that I was in the wrong spot. So I had to go out. <laughs> so I had to go out through there again and down another block to the will call window where they said I was supposed to pick up my credentials. So I go through there and they said, no, you're not in the right spot. Go around the building again to another security checkpoint. So I went through another metal detector, set of metal detectors, had my bags searched opened up and emptied once again for the second time in the last 10 minutes only. And then I was dragged to will call and told by a security person that I was in the wrong spot. So I needed to go find again, needed to go find, uh, what was it? The, the arena control room. And I did that. 
what? <laughs> yeah. So I went to the arena control room, and they had no clue what was going on. So I said, just find me someone inside the building that can literally escort me to someone who knows what's going on. And that's what they did. And then I got my credential and all that stuff. So, But yeah, I had my bags emptied twice, went through two security checkpoints. Um, yeah, Bradley Center, not a, not a very good experience. So then I got there. Like When I got to my seat, it was like halftime. So I was going to say, you had about the same type of uh, afternoon that the Blue Jays men's basketball team did, it sounds like. Sure. I got right. there just in time to see Kyrie – Strip Marcus Howard in the <sighs> ISO and take it down for a dunk. That was the first play I saw. That's like a. Would you say that that's an all Big East type play, Matt? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if there are what twelve guys that are going to get mentioned, if you will. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, first team, second team, and then there's the other. What is that? Honorable, honorable mention. Honorable that was an mention. honorable play for us to mention, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he's done a lot that that this season, but considering I mean, he's the Big East a, Defensive Player of the Year. It was a notable omission among the guys that were mentioned on that team. So, yeah, I don't know. Marcus was – yeah, Marcus I felt like was a – was he a unanimous selection? Am I not mistaken? Marcus Foster was a unanimous first-team All-Big East selection, yes. Okay, so that one was a little – the unanimous part was a little surprising. I thought he was, you know – He's a finalist for the Jerry West Award for the nation's top shooting guard. Yeah, and have you seen yeah. the list too? Like, I feel like only one of those guys is definitely better. Oh, for sure. I think Luke, I Luke, think Luke Kennard is. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it. I was thinking too. So I feel like he could be like you know, second in that voting based on the list. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. Um, but good for him. Also surprised and, uh, that Kyrie Thomas got absolutely shafted. I was gonna wait for at least ten minutes before I got into this, but nah. I don't know. Like, I don't really want to talk about what happened in Milwaukee because. You know, everything was shaping up to um, not fall the Blue Jays' way there, right? Marcus looked a little dead-legged, leaving a lot of shots short off the rim. Mm -hmm. Justin, again, seemed to be fumbly a little bit with the basketball. Uh, He had a nice little stretch in the first half. But other than that, I mean, it was the Kyrie Thomas show. And one against five, that was not really going to work out because Marquette hit almost every single three they took, it seemed. So... Um, yeah, I'm really curious about your perspective because, I mean, I, like I said, I was scrambling. I mean, but the second half to me didn't seem all that disastrous. But, I mean, they played them even. Yeah. And I felt like they had I felt like they had stretches where they could have, you know. They did. I mean. Through, push, push, break through, but they just didn't execute. Juwan Jackson through. going up for that dunk just bunnies it off the front of the rim. And that would have taken it up, what, to 17? Jays scored the next 10 yeah. points, cut it to five. I mean, right there, you got yourself a game. And you look, I mean, yeah. I'm not a big statistical uh, guru in that we've established on this podcast I'm not so good with math, but you look at all the statistics across the board, that game is 100% even unless until you get to the three-point field goals made. And mm-hmm. one team had, what, like 16? And one team had, like, five? And that's it. So... I don't know. Uh, you know, and it's funny. I was. It's. It's. There's a little bit of a vindication in some ways because I don't know if you recall this or not, but our first year, or Creighton's first year in the Big East, um, we did like a whole voting session to see who would be like the All Big East players for White and Blue Review. Remember this? Yeah, I do. So I voted for Jawan Johnson <laughs> as a freshman. I thought. Wow. You know, he's a top he's a top fifty kid. I figured he'd be really good, really talented. 
Sure. You know, he was tall, lanky, skilled. Like I think he would just like, you know, develop into something by the end of the year. Yeah, playing and for Bob. He was pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty much terrible for three years, and now he's like having a breakout season. So this I mean, is like some late, late career vindication for me back then when I thought I knew a lot. I mean, of stuff not that you're holding a grudge or anything at all, but no. Um, yeah, he he was smooth in the first half too. I mean, that missed dunk, notwithstanding. I mean, he had a lot of good takes to the rim in the first half, especially. And anytime you're going to see a guy knock down four threes, I think he was up to four threes in the first twenty minutes mm-hmm. on a senior day. You know. You're always playing against a loaded deck. I, th- I feel like on Senior Day as the road team, I just that situation. Unless you're like, unless you're the guest for DePaul's Senior Day, uh, <laughs> you're not really in a good position for all of the extra um, energy that comes into those buildings. And yeah. Marquette, frankly, I mean, they needed that win. They're still heading into that weekend. They're still in the bubble. I know the Big East is shaping up to. I, I know everybody says seven teams are getting in, but I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if somehow, some way, some team doesn't make it. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to know what happened. But um, anyway, you know, Marquette needed that win. Not that we didn't need it, but they they really needed that dub. And they got it. And it was looking for about 15 or 20 minutes there like we were going to see him again uh, first round in New York. And, then the I think Seton the, Hall Pirates took care of business. <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned that because I wasn't, and this is probably me just being my optimistic self, and you like to bring it down the middle the other way. Um, <laughs> That's nice. But, I, you know, I was leaving that thinking, thinking what you just said, that, okay, well, this is pretty much going to be a rematch again in New York. And I was kind of thinking back to Marquette St. John's, which is the only game that Marquette's played at MSG this year. And I don't know, man. I just wasn't that – I wasn't like not – I wasn't just scared of that game from a Creighton perspective thinking, oh, no, you know, Creighton's going to play this team again. Because I thought, like I said, I mean, the the Bradley Center was buzzing. That was a – like, that's – Yeah. Underrated environment. I mean, I was surprised by how much energy was in that building. That was, you know, obviously it helps that they were – banging threes from every corner of the world. But, I mean, you know, the place was energetic. It was, you know, and Creighton was, like, kind of going punch for punch as much as they possibly could, especially in the second half, though. Because, like I said, I thought there were times where they could have taken, you know, at least tied it or maybe even pushed into a little bit of a lead. They just turned the ball over at the wrong times, and, you know, Marquette would turn those into threes. But I wasn't that worried about it. Obviously, Seton Hall took care of that, you know, which was – it was a huge result for Creighton from the bracket perspective because, you know, right now you got Providence in game one, which I think everybody is across the board in agreement that that should have been a sweep for Creighton this year, correct? You agree with that, don't you? Yeah, uh, Providence only lead in the last 16 minutes of the game in Omaha was at the friggin' buzzer. So, yeah, I would right. say so. Yeah, at the buzzer, right. So, yeah, we, we agree that that should have been a sweep. And then – you also have uh, Butler versus the Xavier DePaul winner, right? God, it would be hilarious if that was DePaul. Chris Mack, you remember what I said oh when I was like, Chris Mack can lose the rest of his games? He almost has. He only, yeah, they've they've really sputtered. That's the one thing. I, that's the one team I think should be worried. Me too. When, when everybody says the Big E is getting seven, I'm pretty sure that's like a soft seven. 
with Xavier being like hanging on the edge of the cliff right now, asking for help and hoping someone hears him. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I'm not really into a ton of the bracketology, but somebody on Twitter said that they don't really look that closely at the last 10 metric. Is that true anymore? I, I always remember growing up, feel like that that was something I always saw was the last 10 games, how have they fared? But is that a thing or no? Yeah, so it's it's interesting from the perspective that if you're really hot, I think they'll look at it you sure. know, and see what, what the difference has been. What but about if Xavier, your point guard's in jail? Will they look at that? <laughs> from Xavier's point of view, it, it's interesting because they obviously have a big injury that caused them to start slumping a little bit here. So Sounds familiar, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean... But we won sure. some of our games is the difference. Yeah, there's a win at Butler mixed in with all that roller coaster ride of up and down stuff. But now Seton uh, Hall has a win at Butler, right? I mean... Yeah. Is Butler but there like... So, uh, yeah. again, there's not that many matchups in a, on a neutral floor. I just worry don't know why I'm so, No, they don't. I don't know why I'm so worried about or why I'm not so worried about Creighton. I just feel like on a neutral floor with the talent they have, I feel like it's going to be competitive no matter what. I don't see them getting blown out by anybody in New York. And, you know, maybe that's – maybe that's maybe, maybe it's coming on Thursday. Who knows? But – uh, you know, until I see, I just haven't seen them get overmatched by anybody. You know, Marquette was like the closest. No, you forget that game in Washington D.C. I don't even know if John Thompson the third is going to bring Georgetown to the to the Big East right. this weekend. Yeah, like they might just forfeit. They've got some other stuff going on in that program right now that uh, he's yeah. right. Other discussions, but no, I mean the only game that I've seen Creighton just be completely flat at, in and not be competitive in was that Georgetown game and. Right. We don't need to see them at all. So, um, you know, obviously I like- you want to wait. You want to you want to try to avoid. I mean, everybody's like, oh, we want to we want to you want to beat the best to be the best. Like, dude, if you can win that tournament without playing Villanova, you will just buy Jay Wright a bunch more suits and ship them over like that yeah. would be fine. Um, and Villanova hasn't exactly been nails in that tournament either. I no, mean- they have not. If you think about everybody thinks about Villanova's just run through this league and that it's Villanova and the rest, but I mean the first year, I mean especially when they meet Seton Hall, they don't win. So I mean that's like pretty much a fact of the matter in, sure. this, in regards to this tournament. You know, Sterling Gibbs beats them at the buzzer. Isaiah Whitehead beats them. I mean, it's not like they're going in, and it's not like they're going in right now like in a super great position from a depth perspective. They looked gassed at the end of the year. Yeah, you know, I mean if there's the, a the team that game was their get right game, but I mean. Who doesn't beat up on Georgetown, right? So Besides like, us, on the road at least. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I feel like Villanova is kind of vulnerable. If they are one thing, they are not deep, right? We've talked about yeah. that. You know, if you know Eric Post, you pronounce it Paschal, Paschal, yeah. whatever. Paschal. Guy scores like 19 at, you know, against us. But you take him out of the mix there, even in that game. And, again, it was like that Marquette game in Milwaukee. There were stretches where Villanova put the pedal down and and had double-digit leads, but we didn't fold. We were right in the mix. I mean, we had the ball. We forced a missed shot down six with a chance to get that rebound, and it just gets tipped out to Jenkins or Hart, one of the two, and he just drills. Um, But, yeah, I agree. I think, especially on the neutral court, I I really don't think – I will be shocked if before the semifinals – any team there on that quarterfinal Thursday has a markedly more vocal and numbered crowd than the other. I just 
the last time I was there, maybe it was because I was so high up at MSG that I couldn't tell and everybody just all mixed together. But uh, this time will be a little bit different. But, I mean, again, a lot of Jays fans went, but it was nothing like what we used to have in St. Louis. So right there, that made it seem lessened to me. And I know that the semifinal Saturday was busy, but, I mean, that place is enormous, you know? It is, yeah. And so, yeah, I just never really felt that maybe, I guess, if Seton Hall makes it super deep, they bring a bunch of people. St. Mm-hmm. John's isn't going deep, so that's not really a factor. Um, but I, right. you know, I don't know. I so from, think... a, so from a basketball perspective, you're thinking if Creighton, if Creighton is in a position where they're playing Villanova on the last day, you think the crowd is neutral at best and Villanova to get there, will probably have to go through St. John's and Marquette, you know, depending on how things go. That's two teams that play up and down. Yeah, right. And, I'm and looking... with dead, they might have any legs left for the title game. You know, they'll be all on adrenaline. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be a ton of Nova fans that would show up in that scenario. But I think every single, I think every single other person in that building would be right rooting for the Jays. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that would be interesting. I I will be really interested in how Chris Mullen's team. Uh, shows up on Wednesday night, and if yeah. they can get through, kind of what they can do against the Villanova team, um, just because they do, they'll feel comfortable there. And for sure, oh. and Shamari the, and Marcus, they'll be balling out. Right, and that's a big deal for them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, so I don't know. I'm really excited. I know I've been trying to figure out the trip out there, and have been on the fence back and forth through the last couple of weeks, not because of a lack of interest in how the Jays are going to do just, you know, life gets in the way and stuff, but no, I'm, I'm ready to go. And, you know, if the saving grace, like it was three years ago is I feel like the Jays are still really solidly in. It's not like they have the opportunity to like lose to a DePaul on mm-hmm. the first night of this tournament and then really sit there for four days and, and worry. I think the Jays are solidly in. So, you know, yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost like a uh, cherry on top, or uh, you know, cherry on top scenario here, where if they go deep in this tournament, it's going to be wonderful for them as a team. They've obviously been through a really shitty month and a half here, and those guys, if they can come together and get some breaks to go their way, you know, some of these fifty-fifty balls go their way instead of what seems to be like every tip out goes to the opponent, every random ball here. Um, going the other way. If we can get some of those and, and get something going, I think it'd be really uh, exciting for them. But either way, you know. Well, there's a, there's a theory behind that too and that you have to kind of make those plays happen for yourself. But yeah, that's, think... been a, that's been a topic of that has been addressed like the last two days. You know, it's funny. I'm going on our message board and I'm seeing everybody all of a sudden thinks the media is like soft on Mac and stuff. And I'm not asking them questions. Like I'm wondering what questions, just give me, just take me inside that mentality because I'm not going to get offended by it. But like, what do you think needs to, that Mac needs to be asked that he hasn't been asked yet? You know, you're you're asking the wrong question because they, I guarantee you, and I know there are some former players on the message board, and those people would probably be the only people on that board that I would mm-hmm. put any stock in their opinion of what's happening because yeah. Mac has Mac and his entire staff has forgotten more basketball than anybody on that board's going to know and mm-hmm. that's not a dig on the board it's just 
No. Those are those roles, right? We've got doctors on that board. Mac would not stroll up to their office and be like, hey, man, I'm really interested in the way that you did that surgery. Like, are you sure you shouldn't (laughs) have done blah, blah, blah? Like, what are you talking about? The guys are – these guys are professional basketball coaches. They make millions of dollars. You know, I get – I just laugh with Mick Cronin on Twitter being interviewed and talking about how the NCAA, all they care about is money. He's like, that motherfucker ca- like cashes $3 million worth of salary probably and all the <laughs> endorsements and all those things. Like, these are professional coaches. This is yeah. their job. Mm-hmm. And if and if they don't, you know, if players don't execute whatever they put in front of them or the players can't execute whatever they put in front of them, I mean, whatever. That's just how it's going to go. These are college basketball players. Like, you don't lose a guy like Maurice Watson Jr. and replace him with, oh, yeah, we just had this guy on the bench that is equally as amazing and kind of a first team, you know, on the fence for, like, first or second team uh, All-American honors nationally. But, like, we'll just plug him in. Like, you guys are clueless that that's a thing. And so to sit there and be like, hey, Coach Mack, why don't you play Davion? He's like, well, if you come to practice, you'll see Davion do blah, 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 blah. And then, and what are you going to do? Like, oh, uh, I'm not satisfied with that answer. Like, what? I know. Like, what are you talking That's what I mean. About? Like, what, do you want me to just, like, like, grab a microphone and start arguing with the guy? Like, I, you know, I I'm just don't a... know what. Yeah. So that's that was my point of frustration. I mean, I'm, I'm as pissed but, as like, anybody one... else that our guard play has not been as good since Maurice went down. But there's literally nothing that the coaching staff can do save from pull an All-American out of the stands and put him on the court. You yeah. have what you have, and you got to figure it out. If that means Marcus brings the ball up the floor because you're, he's your best athlete at the point now, sure, go ahead. And Kyrie was running the ball up the court. It shouldn't mm-hmm. matter. You should – you should just know that that's the card you've been dealt. I understand it's frustration. Like I get it. I'm right there with them. But I mean, to, to say that like people aren't asking the, if anything, people should be asking them more questions about the Maurice situation. Not that I want them to. Right. Yeah. Because nobody yeah. needs to know anything more about that than the legal folks are handling. But to me, Which that's the bigger, sounds worse every day. Yeah. I mean, that's just the bigger thing. And, um, I mean, I don't know if that's, yeah, sorry about whatever. It. Yeah, I got on a little tangent there, but I mean the point, the, the the topic that has been interesting to me the last couple of games has been the rotations with Ronnie and Martine and those guys because I feel like they're bringing a lot of energy and they're they're kind of helping Creighton in that battle with of the winning 50, 50, 50 balls and you know trying to make effort plays and yeah. just you know making the maximizing the most of what they assume is going to be a short rotation, you know maybe a two to three minute stretch here. And then ten minutes on the bench, and then two or three more minutes, and that sort of thing. Like, what the concern with the coaching staff has been is like, why are those guys coming in with like their pants are on fire and giving up their bodies? There, I mean, Ronnie's six seven, Martin's six eight, six nine. I mean, it's not easy for big guys to just start throwing themselves all over the floor, you know? Right. And you know, and think about Martin, who's already you know torn his ACL twice, and all that stuff, like to see guys like that sacrificing their bodies to try to make a play for their team that should kind of rub off on everybody else who's not doing it or who's – because, I mean, I feel like Creighton has done for so long. It's like whatever – I just – I love guys who just go get floor burns. You know what I mean? Like remember Altman's team, he's got like, a bunch of guys that are just all over the court, you know, just throwing themselves, throwing their bodies all over the place. 
you know, it's not good for long-term success. You're going to get injured that way. But, I mean, as far as, like, just giving it your all. And that's really all right, I Right, right now, of, there's right? so like, many guys just, like, bending over and just swiping at a little loose ball, like, hoping that, you know, they can just zap it up like a magnet. And it's not working that way. That's not how you win those types of possessions. But, you know, Ronnie's diving. Ronnie dove after Andrew Rousey in, like, a seven-point game with 30 seconds left. He dove at that guy because the ball got tipped out on the floor for a little bit. And he dove at him to try to stop it and ended up committing a foul. But, like, that's the type of stuff you need. Especially at this point in the season, what are you holding back for? Right. I mean, those guys, uh, a Ronnie Harrell Jr., a Martin Kroppel, they, they, they look at that as their opportunity to see the floor. And that doesn't mean, like, literally get as close to the floor as you can and dive every time you see it. <laughs> but, I mean, they're trying to get minutes from guys like Toby and – Cole and Isaiah and some of these guys and and, mm-hmm. and I think you've made you I'm gonna just you know hypothesize like why else would you have a podcast if you can't just bl- like blab random shit whenever you want mm-hmm. to but um you know Isaiah's not exactly uh 100% physically right he hasn't been for right. four years Cole Huff same way Zach Hansen same way Toby Hegner, same way, right? These guys are all dealing with stuff because they get, they just get banged up during the course of a year. And and I think that ultimately, when I always remember how just in awe I was sometimes of how Coach Altman and Coach Mack down in St. Louis managed the tournament experience. And um, I'm not sure Mack did that same thing in New York three years ago when I was there just because he, he, he rode those starters hard, you know, and you know, guys like Devin Brooks come in and take ill time shots. Why would you have them out there then? Right. You know, you know, the other guys in the system are going to give you those, those better shots. And, and that at the end, they looked tired that last night against Providence, but I think he's going to have to rely on what he's been doing the last week to 10 days, which is getting those guys more in the mix. And, you know, you can hindsight 2020, should they have played more in the weeks leading up to that? But, I mean, the Jays were in almost every single game save for the Georgetown blowout. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, I mean, I have no issue with Mac riding his starters hard, but at this time of the year, they're gassed. They have to be, mm-hmm. you know. But you've seen Toby well, dive what... on the floor. You've seen Cole hit the deck. You've seen Isaiah hit the deck. They're all going for stuff. Um. But they just seem a step step behind right now, and and if mm-hmm. and if Ronnie and and Martina could come in and give you a little bit of a lift, then then so be it. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think it's very interesting that he's starting to a little stretch the bench out a little bit. Like you would normally see that at the beginning of the year when coaches are trying to find rotations. Yeah, I mean, outside of Flan, Flan's the only guy who I guess really will play an extended bench pretty much all year if he has a healthy body to you know put in there that he trusts. Um, right. Because, I mean, he's got a rotation where, I mean, Flan's like, there's a couple minutes and then Jalen Agnew's up off the bench and Bailey Norby's up off the bench to give, you know, Marissa and Bree a break and then he'll start mixing his rotations in to go small, to go big and things like that. But he gets he gets people in rhythm early in the game. That way it's just, you know, you're already in the flow and then when he puts you in, it's based on matchups that way. And I think that's, you know, I'm starting to see that from Mac at this point in the season and I think it's really going to, I think it has a potential to pay off in this tournament here if they can advance because the the quality that he can bring off the bench because Ronnie is a guy who can make plays Martin's a guy who can make plays I mean they both have proven they can make hustle plays and effort plays and change a one or a two or a three possession game with those types of plays 
So I think it's good to kind of get them into a rhythm here late in the season where they, you know, won't be – when their number's called, they won't be, are you serious? I'm going to go in at Madison Square Garden right now right. and play. Like, I'm not – they already they already know from the last two or three games that there's there's a situation that they'll go in and have to make a difference and they'll be ready for that as opposed to well we got nothing else and we're in New York right now let's just play to you know right I, just, just put it all on the t- table and see what happens and then something disastrous might come from it like they're Martin and Ronnie are ready now at this point because of how he's extended his bench the last two games I think and I just think it's hilarious that. I mean, I know it's a what have you done for me lately scenario, but I mean, we literally did not see Ronnie on the court for like a full month worth of games in November, December. I mean, I just don't remember, you know, if you would have told me that he had transferred or gone home, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't realize Ronnie wasn't there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't notice. And that. now people are, you know, again, it's the message board mentality, which I've been a part of our message board since 2000. You know, way back in the day when the when the when the background image on that board was of a terrible basketball court, it was a horrible message board. But I know those guys, and I've been there, and I've opined that same way. It's how the podcast goes, right? Everybody's acting like Ronnie is the missing link and the linchpin, and and how could you not like play him for so long in this season? It's like there's it goes back to there's probably reasons, guys, and now yeah. maybe the reasons have changed. And whether that's Ronnie doing more at practice or the coaches needing a little bit different approach or some combination of those two things and other things, it doesn't matter. That's where we are now. And if having Ronnie out there for long minutes is our best chance to win based on what the coaches scout and what the coaches think, they're always going to know more about what's going on than any of us on the message boards. So, you know, I, I don't know if that seems like blind trust or whatever, but I'll trust the guy making millions of dollars to make that decision, uh, knowing full well that a couple of years of making decisions that don't work out, no matter how great your son was or how many NCAA tournaments you went to when you first started here, you know, those are the decisions that the coaching staff has to live with. So that's fine. They'll do that. And I'm just excited to say I'll be in New York to watch whatever happens happen. So what do you think about the Providence matchup then? Because like we talked about earlier, I mean, it's one that Creighton should probably be with two wins in the bag here. But, I mean, obviously the first one was different with yeah you know, Maurice being in the fold. and Kyron Wright, you know, Cartwright being not Cartwright in the being, fold for most exactly, of the Exactly, right. so, exactly. So, and so that's I mean, where it's a little bit different of a matchup. But, right. I think you know, Creighton if, controlled the game in Omaha. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, always comfortable and it wasn't smooth sailing the whole time. I think they got down in the first half and went on a big run, but – you know, it wasn't a game that Creighton, you think, yeah, that should be an L. No, and I think that I can't remember exactly, and I'd have to go back and watch the highlight reel, although watching highlight reels of games that they don't win makes me extremely sad. <laughs> it's not, it's like torture, right? Because you right. know what's coming. You're like, oh, all these great plays led to a zero right. <laughs> at the end. But I feel like Providence, they do hustle. Ed's always got Ed Cooley's always got his guys giving up bodies, and and they 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 gum things up. I mean that game in Omaha was sixty eight sixty six, and the game in Providence only probably hit the mid seventies for the Jays. Or I don't even think the Jays cracked eighty that day. Um, no, it was like seventy five sixty four or something. Yeah, like that, or with seventy eight sixty four, and that's with Justin Patton having twenty points and three block shots and a ton of dunks, and the Jays getting out early to a ten nothing lead with Maurice in the fold. I mean, that game yeah. still kind of clogged down. Um, 
you know, so if there's one thing that worries me is that I think Cooley's probably one of the better defensive coaches in the league, and mm-hmm. he's had Max number. I mean, let's be honest. So, you know, add Kyron Cartwright a full – he'll play 37, 38 minutes in that game most likely, um, unless, God forbid, some other team get into foul trouble besides us. You know, I think Jalen Brunson got in foul trouble for Villanova in the road game that we played there. But other than that, it seems like other opposing guards just don't ever seem to get that same type of issue that a couple of ours had early in the season. But that's, you know. If Marcus Foster was allowed to shoot free throws, we'd probably see it. Yeah, I mean, right? Like that's got to that's gotten to be kind of a like a Google News alert. I'm gonna start getting whenever he goes to the free throw line. <laughs> uh, it's not really happening, but I yeah. I mean, I think that for a lot of reasons, this game's probably. I haven't looked at the spread or anything. I think uh, either Providence wins by five or the Jays win by five, and it's going to be a grind. So mm-hmm. I, that's just kind of where I feel like it is. And and like. Like you said, I don't think save for, you know, seeing Villanova in a situation where they're just totally on, I don't think we get blown out in any games here in New York City. But I also think that first game, Mac's going to probably have to go to that bench real Mm -hmm. early because I just don't see how an Isaiah Zierden, Toby Hegner, Cole Huff, how those guys are going to string it together for three days. I just – Kyrie's engine is going to be spent, and I, I I just hope that he's I know he's just got a motor, you know, and I think I would hope that it's a well placed energy that a chip on the shoulder can give him for getting mm-hmm. frankly like overlooked for the individual honors that he deserves. So you can't tell me that there are eleven guys better in this league than Kyrie Thomas right now. I just can't you cannot convince 12, me. Twelve, right? There's two honorable mentions, so twelve guys. Yeah. And I mean you just can't convince me of that. So And I'm not convinced that there's there's two guys as good a defender as him in this league either. I was real I was so surprised that Honestly I mean, man. Like I said, if I con- if I had to pick one other name in this league of a guy who's like, yeah, he's probably I got a shot at defensive player of the year, it was Mikhail Bridges. So I wasn't that shocked about him being like co defensive player of the year with Kyrie, but like Josh Hart, I was like It's okay. almost like somebody voted for him for most valuable player in the league and then accidentally like transposed that answer onto the defensive play. Like they answered it wrong. Well it's exclusively coaches, isn't it? Am I not wrong am I wrong right about that? It doesn't that? mean that there that? aren't dumb coaches. Oh no, that's true. I'm just saying it's not like a Maybe they gave it's Mullen. A very, it's a very like <laughs> Maybe they gave Mullen like like ballot more of, ballots, right? Yeah, um, but it's like Josh Hart is a great player. He's the best player in this league. He's the best all-around player probably in the country. And I get it. You know, you want to like showcase your, but you want to showcase your top guys. But I mean, from an objective standpoint, like Kyrie has been locked down city. I mean, he Creighton pretty much sticks him on the not just the one top like option for the other team, like the two or three best options for the other team. And he rotates throughout a game guarding the best players all the time. And it's funny because I felt like against Georgetown, like prior and peak both had good games, you know? Mm-hmm. I so, would, yeah. and, and, and Josh Hart, if you look at his numbers against Creighton, he's been really good from an average standpoint. So, you know, I go back and I'm watching these games and, you know, just watching how much of this stuff happens to Kyrie. You know, how much of that stuff is like, well, uh, 
Pryor had 23 points. How many did he get while Kyrie was guarding him? And that sort of thing. Yeah. And like, so I come up with, let me see if I can pull this up. Cause I just, I just did the Georgetown one before I left from Milwaukee and that one. And it surprised me because I felt like Kyrie gave up some stuff to those guys. Um, because how else would they get them? And it's so funny because I see this watching it when I watch it, like when I watch it, the game, like while I'm watching for Kyrie, it's amazing to see what happens to these scorers when he switched off of them. Like when they see Z or Davion or like Cole or Toby get switched onto them, they just turn into monsters. So Kyrie Thomas at Georgetown, when Pryor and Peak both like combined for about 30 something and Creighton got blown out, you know? But Rodney Pryor against Kyrie Thomas in DC had three points on one of four shooting with one turnover. Uh, LJ Peak had zero points with one turnover. So between the two of them at Georgetown in a 20-point blowout loss, their two top scorers uh, scored three points against Creighton's best defender when, when he was on them. And then in, and then in Omaha, uh, they combined for nine points on four or six shooting, but they were both, again, in the 30s, and he only allowed nine of those points. And he's guarding them. He's rotating on them the whole time. So if he's not guarding Pryor, he's guarding Peak. And if he's not guarding Peak, he's guarding Pryor. So for them to go off, they had to go off on somebody else. So for the season against those two guys, he allowed 12 points on 11 shots, and they turned the ball over twice against him. And then Josh Hart is a guy who is averaging 17 points a game and like maybe, I don't know if he's at a double-double or nine rebounds. He averaged 17 points and nine rebounds against Creighton in two games. And against Kyrie, he scored two points. Yeah. Not average two points. Scored two points all year. The best player in the league and the best maybe the best player in the country scored two points on Kyrie Thomas all season. Scored two. And Kyrie guarded him most of the time. I mean, I don't have an exact time breakdown, but like the majority of the time it was Kyrie checking Josh Hart. And the thing that go that doesn't get noticed is because you look at your steals and your rebounds and your things like that, and then, or you look at top scorers' points per game against you, you don't actually like break down what happens when Kyrie is on somebody. Right. But the guys don't even like try to score. They, they just pass the ball off, or they'll drive and like... Yeah, because when you try to score, he does what he did to Marcus Howard and embarrasses you. That was yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> you try to like, ISO Kyrie or try to cross him up. Like He's done it to Keelan Martin. He's done it to Kandine Carrington. Now he did it to Marcus Howard. Like you can't get done bo- to Bronson Koenig. Yeah. Like dudes try to cross him up, and he's like poke dunk. And none like, of those dudes that you just mentioned is terrible, right? No, those are all, all top level guys. I mean, Marcus Howard, arguably other than Justin and Shamari Pons, right there in the biggest freshman, freshman, freshman of the year. Yeah. You know. And then yeah, so you see that, and you're like, okay, well, he, you know, Hart got his numbers and things like that. It doesn't happen against Kyrie. I'm telling you. Trayvon blew it when what? How many points did he have against Creighton in Omaha? Dude, and what do you do in the second half? And the only three, the only three Kyrie gave up on him was when uh, Rashid Gaston set like a five foot moving screen to get uh, blew it open for the three. And even yeah. then, Kyrie still had his arm in his face. Yeah, somehow. which one of the five foot moving screens was that <laughs> call? Know. What's that? On? That was such a horrible call. But it was the only way to get it was the only way to get Kyrie off of blew it was just to literally like cheat and hope they don't catch it. You know what I mean? Right. That's so that's where I get worried, right? Going neutral court, um, going out MSG. I don't know how they're going to call the game. I would hope that it's – I mean, it's hard because I don't know that our guys are great at getting through physical play. 
Now, on the flip side, you don't want our guys to get called for, and especially a guy like Kyrie, we cannot afford to have him sit on the bench too long. Oh, if he's in foul trouble, then it's a blowout. It's just done, right? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll, um, take, I'll amend that. Like, that's the way it happens. But, but even then, I mean, like you mentioned, yeah, no one's scoring on him. But the problem is that there's just not that second defender on the perimeter. And I feel like Marcus has to be that guy, and he just hasn't been that guy. Not that they're going to be getting switched up on the same action all the time, right? Like you're talking about guys getting switched up and, and um, you know, guys like Cole or Toby or Isaiah, some of those guys having to come through there. But, yeah. I don't know, I, I, I just think that Providence – and any of these other teams, we just need to have a more sound defense. And i that's the part, other than the point guard situation, that just really um, – that's the thing that worries me in a tournament like this. I, I, I'm really curious if, if Creighton is going to have Kyrie guard Cartwright a little more because I don't know if it was by accident or by design, but out of a timeout on the – I think the second to last possession of the game – uh, Kyrie was on Cartwright and he shut him down. Yeah, because that's what he does. But I mean, he wasn't on him in the last position of the game. He was he was on to Bullock. Um, the thing about Bullock and is that's tough for Kyrie is he's bigger than Kyrie. You know, not just bigger, but like taller and stronger. Right. So, I mean, he can get a shot that he's comfortable with taking, and it can be contested, and he can still hit it. You know what I mean? That's the tough matchup for Kyrie in this game is because Bullock is so big. That for one thing, it's hard to keep him off the glass. Another, it's hard to keep him off the glass and have Kyrie be the rebounder. You know what I mean? Kyrie, yeah, it's Kyrie, right. Kyrie pretty much has to box him out and then hope someone else can get the ball because he can't really win it over Bullock. Right. He's just big and strong. And, and that's then, where I think Ronnie the other comes problem play. is Jalen Lindsey. Jalen Lindsey got free way too often um, for threes in Omaha, and you, that's a guy that they can't lose. I mean, Emmett Holt, I feel like they can live with him chucking up shots because – he hit a couple threes, but he also airmailed a couple threes. So he's either like going to rattle one in, or he's going to throw what looks like an alley oop that was actually a three pointer. Right. So I mean, I feel like they'll live with him stepping out because it means he's not on the boards. Um, but Jalen Lindsay's a guy that absolutely has to be, yeah, hands up in his face, running him off the line the whole time. If he's if Jalen Lindsay's dunking on you, live with that. Like let him run at Patton all day. Or Zach, you know what I mean, and let him take his chances. But do not let him get space to shoot rhythm threes. That's that's a huge, a huge schematic defensive strategy for Creighton. They cannot let that happen. Otherwise, Providence is going to get into a great rhythm, and it's going to be tough to stop them in the second half if they get going early. So, and just letting everybody on the podcast know that win or lose, Matt and I will be live. Not live. Uh, we will record from New York City and post a podcast uh, recapping. Um, what Creighton hopes will be the first of a few games at MSG here uh, coming up this weekend. So, yeah, a lot to ponder for the Jays. Both coaching staffs have had since Saturday to prepare. They play the last game of the night at MSG on Thursday night. It's a 9.30 local tip. i got to get my nap game right on Thursday afternoon because that is a long day at the Garden. Um, But, yeah. I'm stoked about the 3-6, though, because I love the 9.30 game. Oh yeah, it's it's you know frankly it's the game where shit gets wild in that game. Right? right? Cole Huff scores ninety five points last year. Um, yeah. You know, it's just stuff gets weird. So yeah, that's the one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, but I would be remiss, Matt, if we didn't. I know we got some limited time tonight because we all got to get ready to go. But uh, yeah. remiss if we don't talk about Jim Flannery's 
Creighton Women's Blue Jays uh, basketball team. Uh, they win. They make the semifinals of the Big East Women's Tournament up in Milwaukee. You've been there the last couple of days. You watched them lose to the home team, the host team, the Marquette Golden Eagles. Kind of recap the last week for Creighton Women's Basketball. They go from uh, sharing the regular season championship uh, to a quarterfinal win against Butler and then ultimately losing a game that – you know, and you know everybody hopes they would win, but they're in the tournament field safely anyway. So, sure. I mean, speaking of people that didn't get any recognition in from the conference in the postseason awards, uh, Sydney Lamberty was the only starter for Creighton that didn't get any kind of individual recognition. When you look at it, I mean, Brianna Rollerson was uh, co most improved, Marissa Janning was second team, Audrey Faber was first team. Lauren Works won the Big East Sportsmanship Award, which, by the way, is the second time in the last three years that a Creighton player has won that. So, I mean, kudos to the Blue Jays for being good sports. Um, and then uh, Jalen Agnew won Freshman of the Year. So the first, so the first player off the bench and four of the five starters got individual accolades. And Sydney Lamberty was the one who didn't. And, and what did she do players, in Milwaukee, Matt? What did she do? Uh, she went completely uh, – she pretty much – how Marissa put it after the game was that, uh, yeah, she didn't get any recognition in from the conference, but she showed everybody who she is this weekend. I mean, she averaged, in two games, she averaged 17 points, 12.5 boards. This is a guard, mind you. 12.5 boards, 4.5 assists, and shot 55% from the field. And I think as of right now, because Marquette and DePaul are in the fourth quarter. And Marquette's winning in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Marquette's up by one. And right now, if my math is right, she still is in line to – why can't I see Blot? There she is. She's still in line right now to lead – or to be to finish second in the whole tournament in points per game of players that played two or more games, lead the conference, in, conference tournament in rebounding, and finish second assist. So, I mean, even though she didn't make the championship game, I feel like she's still pretty much a lock to be all tournament at worst. And – I mean, she just carried – I mean, she was a near triple-double in the Butler game, which Creighton got off to a slow start just from a shooting perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, they were a little rusty having a week off, and Butler had played the night before. You know how conference tournaments go. But, yep. you know, the shots started falling, and, you know, Creighton showed they were the better team. But, I mean, Sydney was – you know, she almost had a triple-double in that game. I think she had six points, ten boards – or eight points, ten boards, six assists, you know, just doing what she does. And then against Marquette, I mean, she was – if people remember that Carly Tritz performance against Missouri State where I think she scored like 27 points in a row or something like that, something absurd. The Carly so Tritz game? Yeah, the Carly Tritz game. It wasn't quite uh, dominance from the offensive perspective of that, but, I mean, she was grabbing every rebound. Uh, she was, you know, scoring. She was going with her jumper off of screens. She was driving to the hole and scoring over bigger defenders. I mean, she just dominated that whole game. and It was kind of tough in – from the perspective that if she had just a little bit more assistance, you know, yeah. they would have won. They would have won that game. I mean, she just she really was a one woman show. Because um, I mean, I think Audrey Faber only took one shot in the second half. Um, they had a couple rattle in and out, good rhythm threes that I felt like were good shots. And they, you know, even though they shot thirty two threes, I don't feel like a lot of them were bad shots. I know that's a crazy high number, and you probably think. 
in a game that, that Creighton lost that they probably shouldn't have shot so many threes. But I mean, a lot of them were good looks. You know, sure. Marquette was kind of plugging things up. They weren't letting, they weren't making catches easy for Brianna Rollerson because they know they can't guard her one on one. Right. So they were really worried about that and plugging things up in the middle. And Creighton was getting great looks from the three point line, but just not enough of them went in. Um, but I mean, early on, you got like nine points. You got nine points from Kylie Brown and Bailey Norby off the bench. I mean, that's gravy for Creighton. Creighton gets nine points from them. That should be a blowout, but just not enough of the, you know, like Marissa Janney was two for nine, Audrey Faber was three for ten, you know, Lauren Works was two for seven, and Brianna Rollerson only got three field goal attempts because Marquette was just hounding her. Um, so Sydney had to take 21 shots. I mean, she got a career-high 26 points, career-high 15 rebounds. Dropped three assists. Um, I went through all the box scores from like 35 years of. <laughs> you had some time on your hands in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Uh, I went through all the box scores from like 35 years of Big East Women's Tournament, Conference Tournament basketball, and she's only the third player ever to have like at least 25 points, at least 15 boards, and at least three assists. I mean, you just don't see that kind of stat line. Right. And it's, it's kind of funny because looking at the 26 and 15, is she had more points and rebounds in that game than any Creighton player had in the two games. All, to, all together. That's awesome. So, I mean, it was a City and Lamberty coming out party. So, I mean, she'll be a senior next year, you know, and her Agnew and Faber will be a – That's a tough threesome right there. Ooh, oh, boy. Man, they're so versatile. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Lamberty, can, Lamberty can guard one through four. Uh, Faber can play three through five. Jalen can play two through five. I mean, yeah. It's going to – I mean, they're, it's not like – you know, they're going to lose some key players from this team, but – I don't feel like they're going to just start sliding after this, but their season isn't done. This season isn't done yet either because they are in solid position to make the NCAA tournament. And something that's worth watching, but not like totally get your hopes up for because it's going to happen type of deal. But something that's worth watching is that Stanford is going to be either a two or a three seed. Yeah. And they can't host because they decided to book their venue for something else. I don't know what. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so they can't host. So some lucky seven or six seed that's in their bracket going to be hosting some ball games. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to women's bracketology at all. Charlie but, Cream, baby. Yeah, Charlie Cream. But the six, seven, eight line is kind of where Creighton's been playing with at all season pretty much. And I don't think they're an eight at this point because they've been on such a roll right. that – that six and seven line is interesting, and like I said, if that's and it's not going to be like they're not going to be afraid to send Stanford far from Palo Alto, from what I'm gathering. It's not going to be reading that. It's not like they're going to make Stanford play, you know, still on the West Coast, so they can have like a little. Oh, it's too bad you didn't get to host, but we'll still put you in like a hosting close to home right. position. No, did the same. They'll per- send them somewhere. Yeah. Did the same person who submitted their paperwork for hosting submit Creighton's volleyball paperwork two years ago? <laughs> I had to bring it up. She was she was pregnant. Give her a break. Um, you know there was a lot of things that she was I'm out of the kidding. office a lot. Um, yeah, so I mean it's just it's just worth watching to just to see because like I said, you might it, it might be surprising to see who ends up in that Stanford bracket, whether they're a two or a three. Which I think they're probably going to be a two because they just won the Pac-12 tournament and got another win over Oregon State. So I think that you know. They might be a two seed based on that, which means did Creighton fall to a seven by losing at Marquette? You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Or are they, or are they still a six and probably still going to like Corvallis or something? So it's going to be interesting. Election Monday is going to be definitely worth watching from that perspective because, you know, some for some reason Stanford decided they didn't really care that much about hosting this year. So. It's because everybody is going to lose to UConn. They're like, eh, why do we even host? Yeah, we don't care. No, like, well, but seriously, why would you book your venue when you're, you've got a good team, like you're an elite program? What's, what? I don't know. That doesn't make it any bit of sense to me but that's 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 been the talk of like bracketology for women is like who gets who gets the six and seven seed in the stanford bracket and gets a lucky host bid out of it so for sure yeah i mean i'm just excited that they're going to make the NCAA tournament i mean it's yeah. been the last time the jays and and the jays were in the ncaa tournament the same year doug mcdermott's sophomore year junior year junior year. junior year so yeah. um last year in the valley yeah, because they played future Big East foe St. John's, and mm-hmm. the women did. No, no, they played Syracuse. Old St. John's old. was the year before that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Either way, NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's trip been a big. Down. What? That's been a big topic for them too. Is they they knew going into this tournament that they were playing with house money because of what they had done, to the position they put themselves in, but. It still stung to lose yesterday. They 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 wanted to win that conference tournament because of how close they got last year. That was something that motivated them. Sure. It was a goal. It was a goal of theirs. So, I mean, you know, Sydney. Lam- it was it was so tough watching Lambert yesterday because she pretty much put it all out on the court and had a career day in several categories and just looked absolutely deflated. Like at the end of the game, like what else? What could more I do I have to do? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like well, nothing, Sid. It was <laughs> you did everything. So I mean. It was tough from that perspective, but I feel like they, and Flan mentioned this in his post game that it was probably it was you know one of the easiest post game loss speeches he's had to give because of the knowledge that you know they know that they're not playing in the WNIT this year and they don't have to sweat out another selection Monday that they're gonna have you know their friends and family and fans at DJ Soko Arena on Monday night and they know they're gonna be celebrating whether they get to stay there by luck of the draw, if Stanford gets sent there or whether wherever they're going, they're going to be happy to be dancing. And it's not going to be one of those drama filled ones where they were like the second to last name called and everybody was, you know, in tears and laughter and wondering if they were even going to get called or not. But this year they're pretty sure they're pretty much a lock. They're more of a lock than they're more of a lock than the men are really. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you just look at the resumes, I mean, that's just, if it's not like the men are in trouble at all, they certainly aren't, but I mean, the women are that solid. So sure. Election Monday is going to be a celebration for them, and I think they're excited about that. They should be. They've worked really hard. They've played really well. I mean, to enter that conference tournament with only two losses, and and certainly neither of the losses that they had in the regular season in Big East play were bad. Obviously, DePaul proving again tonight why they are so good. I know it's close here in the fourth quarter of the Big East women's final. Uh, Marquette and DePaul at it. But, um, yeah. I mean, if you've only got two regular season losses and they happen to be to a top 20 team, that's going to be, what's DePaul forecast at? Like a four or five type of seed, Matt? Right. Yeah, they should. They're they're like right on the cusp of possibly hosting. Um, I think it's going to be close. They might be just on the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, but at worst, they're the highest five and likely they're the lowest four. So right. depends. Okay. So yeah, a lot of exciting stuff. Obviously, for the women, they've they've proven they belong in this tournament field this year, and so they'll see on Selection Monday where they fall. 
um, and, and we'll have coverage for that on you at whitelereview.com. Um, obviously, we're going to have to hash out what our what our outfit is doing post MSG and post Women's Big East tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Because the way it's breaking down is there's nothing to see at TD Ameritrade Park anytime soon. Oh. So we've got some uh, we got some basketball trips and some basketball coverage to hash out here the next week or so. But um, yeah, we'll just write a bunch of off-season perspective stories. And... Wow. Because here's one perspective. Uh, Ed Service's team cannot catch a break. Um, a lot of it's obviously done of uh, happening because the pitching staff has not, especially late inning, has not been as um, as effective as they have in, in previous years. In, this, in the starters that, you know, you looked at that team. I know we're segueing really hard here into baseball, but it, Creighton always struggles to hit, especially early in the season. But I think with the returners that you had coming back in the starting rotation and, and late in the bullpen, that you thought maybe that would head off some of the um, some of the offensive woes that were bound to happen here to start. But man, they just can't. They finally start hitting some home runs and they give up games in extra innings. They have leads late. They give those up uh, and lose in the bottom eighth, bottom of the ninth type situations. I know it's been tough for them. Um, what's your perspective looking on, Matt, from someone who's going to be spending a lot of time at TD Ameritrade Park here coming up soon? <laughs> loaded loaded I'm, question, I know. I'm curious to see what happens when they settle into like a bunch of games at home. You know, maybe if they can – I don't know. The team was just so – there was so much roster shakeup from the year before. I mean, they pretty much had to replace one through eight in their lineup. Yeah. And the guy they had back, I mean – there's a lot of pressure on Michael Amodi, who I hate to break it to people, was like a 180 hitter last year. So I mean, right, and he's hit some I mean, bombs. I mean, he's he's got. Hey, a he, does, bat, he, can, he can he can hit some bombs. That's what he can do. Yeah. So he's exciting from that perspective. But there was just so many question marks, and I mean, that's a lot of stress on. I don't. It's a lot of stress on the defense, on the pitching staff, on everything. When you know, you know, when you have so little experience, and then one thing goes wrong. And then another thing goes wrong. You don't have anything to lean on as far as how to get out of that situation. So, I mean, right now for this team, I can't imagine confidence is at a high. And I can't imagine one and eight is something that Ed's happy with or being patient with because he's notoriously not either of those things. <laughs> um, I mean, he just isn't. He's a hard-nosed coach. Like, yeah. So one and eight, you know, those practices are not going to be fun. And for a team that has nothing to lean on as far as, well, we've got out of this situation before. You, not really because you haven't faced it before. I don't know what they can – it's going to be curious to see how they dig themselves out of it because I think for this young team, maybe some goal adjustments, just try to figure out something in time to make sure you qualify for your conference tournament. And then you're playing home games. Who knows what happens then? You know, baseball's funny where – a team gets on a roll late, and then you just can't stop it. So maybe you just turn into like the Xavier's of the past. God, that's exactly what I was thinking, though, wasn't it? That's what that's what you're thinking when you watch these these things happen because they're going to play 60 games, mm-hmm. and the last five of those, four of those, they're going to be in Omaha. Hopefully, yeah, uh, you play that many games there, and yeah, at that point, it's May, and guys have. You know, they're not freshmen anymore necessarily, right? I mean, if there's any sport in collegiate athletics where the whole, oh, the team is young and they're a freshman goes out the window, it's it's a sport like softball or so- sport like baseball where you've gotten 55, 60 games in, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I was you and I joked about it 
when we were at the steak fry a couple weeks ago, watch this team be the one that no one expects to, to make an NCAA tournament, but strings that together at the end after having a, a, a rough start. I don't think that we thought it would be this rough a start. I mean, I didn't personally, what are they? One and eight now. Yeah. Um, with a doubleheader tomorrow. Yeah. Cause of the two, wind or two something. 17 doubleheaders tomorrow. Yeah. That'll be fun. So, you know, I, I just, I, yeah, you never write anybody off in college baseball like that. I mean, one of the most exciting experiences that we've covered at whiteandbluereview.com since we've been running this site was when Ed's team went down to uh, went down to the MVC tournament that year and was a seven or eight seed and won the whole thing and you know, mm-hmm. ended up going out to UCLA. I, that was a blast. And that was just one of those moments where a team gets hot and it's a baseball tournament and double elimination. And let's just see what happens and, and make it happen. So, but that's about all we need to really talk about baseball tonight. Cause let's yeah, be honest, it's championship week. It's the okay. eve of the big East men's basketball tournament. Both of us will be there and we are really excited for all of our white and blue review uh, followers to join us virtually as well as, you know, in person, if you guys, run into us uh, at the Stewart Hotel or at MSG or anywhere else in that fine city. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, give us a pat on the shoulder or tell us that our podcast sucks or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to talk, if you, you think you can coach Coach Mac a little bit better, I'm sure you can tell us how we're doing this wrong. So, you know, feel free. We'll listen. We always take pointers. So. Um, but other than that, Matt, I think we're primed to, uh, deliver some quick hitters here in the next couple of days, uh, live from New York city. So do you have anything else you want to put out there tonight before we call it a night and get ready to travel? No, man. Safe travels to everybody that's going out there. Uh, you know, looking forward to having a good time. You know, obviously we're going to, you and I will get there on Wednesday. So we'll have like a day and a half before the game starts, you know, yeah. um, which will be nice. I mean, it's a fun city. And uh, just a little bit. Yeah. Safe travels to everybody getting out there, and you know, have a good time. Because you know, like this tournament isn't like the end of it. It's not like where you're going to St. Louis and you know feeling nervous every day because if Creighton slips up, they're not they're going to the IIT. Like Creighton's in the NCAA tournament, so have fun with it. Right. You know, enjoy the Big East tournament because there's some you know it's one of the best leagues in the in the country. That's another experience you didn't have going to St. Louis. And then, thank you, Lollers. I guess. Oh yeah. Lawler's <laughs> Custom Sportswear, uh, once again, sponsoring this episode of Blue Jays Bites Podcast. Big shout out to Lawler's. So really appreciate everything that they've done uh, for us so far. And hopefully we see a lot of folks rocking Lawler's gear, walking around New York City. But we know everybody back in Omaha will be rocking their Lawler's gear Thursday night for that 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern tip. Could be a little bit later, depending on what debauchery occurs with Butler and most likely Xavier, but uh, that right there, that you know, if Xavier's on, that could be that could be tough for Butler. It could be a uh, could push them. So I think there's gonna be a lot of games that are where teams, so are, teams are getting pushed around. I don't expect many blowouts here. I don't think so either. And Xavier, especially now, they're they're kind of up against it. Their backs are against the wall a bit. So mm-hmm. will be interesting for sure. And we will be there, and we'll bring it all for you here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. So. For Matt DeMoranis, I am Brian Tott, thanking Lawler's Custom Sportswell Year again, and thanking all of you Jays fans for tuning in, downloading this podcast, uh, podcast and listening in however way you are. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the Big East Tournament, and we will be back with you shortly here 
um, after Providence and Creighton on Thursday night. So for everybody listening at home, a big hearty Go Jays. Thank you for everything you do for whiteandbluereview.com, and we will check in with you soon. Have a good night.